0: And so uh, if you've been here at Norwich Baptist Church for the last uh, two or three weeks, you'll know that we've turned to that section in 1 Kings chapter 18, which quite often is uh, something that we leave for the Sunday school, for the Sunday school teachers to teach the kids about the altar and the sacrifice and Elijah calling down fire from heaven and it burns the, uh, uh, the offering up, the sacrifice up. And as we continue to consider the account of Elijah and the false prophets that are described here, as we continue to think of the prayer that Elijah brought to God in verses 36 and 37, as George read to us, we're in some respects absolutely bowled over by the simplicity of the prayer of Elijah. Certainly, as we compare them to these 450 prophets of Baal, uh, they prayed from early in the morning until lunchtime midday and then they decided that nothing had happened so they had to pray further and they went on to the evening sacrifice so it was a long time lots of things took place As uh, these prophets were praying, Uh, one of them is uh, pretty gruesome, really. They cut themselves, and it talks about the fact that blood is flowing because there is this sort of sympathetic-type magic that's taking place. They're trying to say, well, if the bowels can't do it on their own, then maybe I can get involved. Maybe me doing this to myself will encourage them to do that. And I think I mentioned it to you before, but I remember as a small, as a young child, maybe eight, nine years old, in Africa, watching the local uh, uh, people in the Fulani tribes and the Hausa uh, tribes, that they would also cut themselves because they wanted God to take notice. They were prepared to do that. And it was a, um, it was a harrowing thing to, uh, to see uh, blood flowing. But the simplicity of Elijah's prayer is, is strikingly obvious from the difference between the two. It's only a couple of verses long, you know, Fair enough, the preparation before Elijah actually brings his prayer was long and detailed. But when his prayer comes, it's short, it's to the point. There are some key things that he brings out, and it is those key things that we are looking at. And of course, as we look at this prayer, we see that uh, it's a very fundamental prayer. Um, It could be argued that it is not the sort of prayer uh, that we tend to bring when we come to God, in either our private or our corporate prayer because of the items that are contained in it. but we'll be looking at those. We looked at them last week, and we need to just finish that comparison that we had last week um, between the prayer of Elijah and the prayer of the bowels. But we're going to come and talk in just a moment about the second part of the prayer that uh, Elijah had, uh, had brought. So we realized that it was short. After the preparation, and just to remind you that last week uh, you'll remember uh, that uh, we were talking about the God who created the universe and everything in it, and that's really important. us to understand because now we begin to understand clearly who this God is you know you're wondering who is this God and now we discover that this is the God who has created the universe remember that we had that link back to Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 11 which says thus you shall say to them the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens yes the God that we're speaking of here created you and me, and we marvel at that. And I can't get over the fact that when you're involved in, in uh, you know, as I have, but as I've seen uh, Jace in the hospital as well, and I, I, I spoke to uh, uh, the surgeon who helped me out. And I mean, she did. She's she's saved my life. Okay. And uh, she st- I, I said, y- you know, you must be really clever to understand this lot. And she said, the problem is, I only know about 20% of it, if that. She said, the human body is unbelievable. And she said, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe in God, she said. But it didn't happen by chance. Somebody created it. So what an interesting result that you see and so this is why Elijah is very keen for us and Jeremiah as well to understand that this is the God that we pray to we also recognize that um, and we saw that last week that uh, these other gods that people had, the, the 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 idols they're gone and that was the prediction that was brought in the scriptures this God wants his name to be known Now we understand that that's important, we know that names are important, we like it when people get our names right, and uh, we like it when people know who we are, and God wants us to know who He is. But He also wanted Israel to stop fooling around with false gods and with the bowels that uh, are presented here in this section of Scripture. And He wants people to recognize that they have a God who is the creator and sustainer. And that this great God, an awesome God, has also done something else incredible, and it's this. He has committed himself to his people. Now, for you and I today, that is one of the things which is so important for us to really, truly understand and appreciate. Our God has made a commitment to us. Now, we speak about the fact that we're committed Christians. (laughs) I struggle with that term sometimes. How committed are we? You know, are we totally committed, a little bit committed? But this God is totally committed to his people. He loves us, he cares for us, and he's there when we need him. Now, I realize that there are times in our lives when we feel that God is distant. I think someone prayed this morning and said, have my prayers made it out of the building?" And those are the times that we can sometimes think and feel like that. And I want you to know this morning that as we read the scriptures and as we begin to understand who this God is, yes, this is a God who hears us. And yes, our prayers do make it outside of this building. They make it outside of our bedroom when we close the door just before we go to sleep and we're praying to him. He hears us. He wants to hear us. And he is prepared and will always answer us. This God wants us to know his name. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, this covenanting, keeping God, this promise keeping God. And we rejoice because this same God has committed himself to us as believers, as children, his children today. So it's impossible to degrade the name of God by association with false gods and with the Baals that we see here in one kings friends i say this graciously and we're not here to frighten children but these Baals were disgusting gods and there are lots of things that go under the name of people who look at different gods and ways that they uh, treat their deities today which are similarly disgusting these bowels, these gods, these idols, drove people to sacrifice their children, Moloch and so on, to cut and to disfigure themselves and to engage in gross sexual acts. I once met a man uh, from a city called Port Moresby. Now, is there anybody who can tell me uh, which country is Port Moresby the capital of? I was impressed with what happened last, last week. Any advance? No. Not Australia. Port Moresby. I'm not sure what the capital of Australia is. Is it Melbourne or is it Sydney? Canberra. It's Canberra. Who said that? Oh, Canberra. I think he's right, actually. So Port Moresby. Anybody know what the capital is? Jack? Uh, Who's Googling it right now? No, stop doing that. Okay. (laughs) Port Moresby is the capital of Papua New Guinea, and that's a country you've never heard of before, I'm guessing. But it's uh, one of those islands uh, in the uh, South Pacific, or it's a big island. The other half is is Indonesia, and one half is... um, is Papua New Guinea now why do I mention this guy well it's fascinating uh, meeting him and the, th- the reason why I remembered him is that this last week I saw an article on the BBC news I don't know if it made it into the Canadian news 65 people died as a result of tribal violence in the highland areas of Papua New Guinea and this guy had uh, explained to me he was at Reading uh, University and uh he came along to the church that uh, I was attending, and he said, he said Papua New Guinea is still full of tribal groups that have their own gods, their own idols. And he made this statement. Again, if there's any young people here or people of a weaker disposition, please be careful with the following statement. They attack each other, and then they eat A few people from the other tribe just to make sure the other tribe know that they are now in subjection to the other one. Now the thought of eating somebody you know it's pretty pretty horrific isn't it? And he said this, he said there are people in the world who think that these tribes should just be left alone because this is how they function and operate. There's one tribe called the the Korina people they, they don't know, this was back in about the nine, 1985, 1990, they didn't know that anybody else in the world existed. And they should be left that way. And he just said, but do you know how fearful it is to think that you might be eaten by the chaps next door? And he said, this is why the gospel is the one thing that is for every single person in the world. And we shouldn't be cut up with social people who say that we should just leave uh, these groups because the gospel is for all people and we need to do what we can to share the gospel with them. And that helps us to understand that some of the things that uh, Elijah was facing and having to look at was was not dissimilar to situations that still are in existence today. And so the very first prayer that Elijah has is that people will know who God is and what his name is. And those tribes in Papua New Guinea, those tribes in the Amazon forests, the people down the road here, the ones in Russia, people in India, Central America. The whole world needs to know who this God is and what is his name and this is important because today we live in a world and a society of complete and total total confusion as to who God is I use a little bit of a a story here. Before the Second World War, there was a Prime Minister uh, of England. Uh, I can't remember him, just in case anyone was thinking, but his name was Stanley Baldwin. Now, the reason why that name means nothing to you is because Stanley Baldwin was reckoned to be the one Prime Minister of England who achieved absolutely nothing whilst he was Prime Minister. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's standard for politicians. The only things they ever achieve are mistakes. They never achieve keeping the promises that they made. But Stanley Baldwin was reckoned to be uh, the prime minister who achieved absolutely nothing. He was voted in because of the slogan, you can trust Mr. Baldwin. He was a country gentleman who kept his word. But his premiership, as I said, was marked with the fact that there seemed to be absolutely nothing. At least that was the story that was banded about that he had achieved. And after the war, people went back and they criticized him, because Britain was not ready for the war. He'd reduced the size of the army, he'd sold off the hardware, and uh, and didn't allow any new uh, innovation to come in to uh, the army and the armed forces. And of course, when Nazi Germany made its move against Europe, Britain wasn't ready. And so it was Stanley Baldwin's fault because he had achieved nothing during the time that he was prime minister. He had two sons, and one of them was a professor at Oxford University. And he decided that he wanted to put the story right. So he wrote a book entitled, My Father, the True Story. Because there were things that Mr. Baldwin had achieved during that time. It's just that they weren't the things that stood out in the news. And in a sense, this book that we hold together here we could call it, my father, the true story. The world doesn't think that God achieves anything, but we know different. And as we see God at work in our lives, we can talk about my father, the true story. As we talk about Jace, we can talk about our father, the true story. And so we discover that God's Word absolutely is a joy for us to, and a privilege for us to have. Of course, the Bible has been and continues to be the object of the devil's lies since the fall of man in the garden. The devil continues his work of discrediting the Word of God, and we see this in the lives of people around us. When we read the newspaper, when we go online, when we watch TV or listen to the radio, we hear it all the time. When we listen to what our government tries to bring in and the fact that they're prepared to discredit God's word in a very clear and open way. And these lies are easily believed when we face tough days and tough situations the question why is a huge question why does God allow this to happen to me to my family to the people we love but the name of God in the Old Testament is constantly proclaimed as being precious and ought to be precious to us as his people, those of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. And as George read those verses in Exodus, remember Moses in Exodus 33 and 34, what a wonderful passage of Scripture, and indeed it's one that should excite all believers today. Remember Moses turns to God and he basically says this, he says, I'm not going if you don't come with me. Now that might be my translation for that particular section of Scripture, but he makes it clear, I'm not going, Lord, Unless you come with me. Is that what you say? When you're facing the difficulties and the problems. And you've got to step out into the unknown. And you're thinking to yourself. Okay is my faith strong enough for this? And what we should be saying is. I'm not going if you're not coming with me. You see Moses is wise enough to know. That there is no future without his God. So he says, please show me your glory. And then in chapter 34, verses 1 to 6, that we read together earlier, you get this wonderful statement of God preparing to show Moses his glory. And when we get to verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses. And what did he declare to him? He simply said this. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed what? The name of the Lord. That's it. The name of the Lord. God declared his own name. Because again he needed Moses to know who he was. You know what a large number of people today believe that our God is? When you talk to people outside in the street. They believe that God is just some sort of ogre. And I'm not talking about Shrek here. An ogre. You know, the one with the big club over his his shoulder. And he just goes around bashing people. Now, sadly, there's quite a lot of people in churches who have that idea of this God of ours. The God who wants us to know his name. The God who wants us to know that he created everything. The God who wants us to know that he cares for us and that he loves us. And... I think it's incredibly sad that if that's the picture that we have of God, how can we ever have a relationship with a God like that? Do you see the order that we have here in coming to God in prayer? And this is what this series is about. Firstly, proclamation of the name of God. And then secondly, followed by worship of God. So that's the order that we see in the Scriptures. And I'm not talking about the worship that we come together, that we've created, that we want to engage in, that just gives us a good time. You know, we're not talking about that, the way we we just sing only the songs that make us feel really happy. Where we have indoor fireworks at the front of the church just to give us a real bit of a a buzz, you know. Could try that one day and see what happens. No, we won't try that. (laughs) You can imagine... Norwich Baptist Church burns, burns to the ground. Our worship is to recognize that God has revealed himself in his glory as a God of grace and mercy. I think it was Chris on uh, Thursday for our, our uh, Bible study who spoke about the difference between grace and mercy. And he gave a lovely, uh, a lovely way of presenting it. And uh, we had a good crowd out on Thursday. If you want to come and learn uh, more, Colossians is, is, this is, Colossians is all about this as well. Come along and, uh, and join us on, uh, on Thursdays. But this week we have our, our fellowship meeting. But Chris had made the point uh, regarding grace and mercy. And he said, grace was God giving us what we did not deserve. And that mercy was God not giving us what we do deserve. Because we have a God who is gracious and a God who is merciful. So that is Elijah's first prayer as we come and look at Elijah at 1 Kings 18 verse 36. Elijah wants the straying Israelites to recognize their true God for who he is. The creator of heaven and earth. And he wants us when we stray to come back and to recognize this God. So the second part, and it won't take very long to cover this, uh, because the first part was, was, was just so big and so enormous, we had to take two weeks to, to look at it, or a week and a half. So now we come to the second half of verse 36. The first half, who is God, and the second half is very interesting, and you may never have noticed this before, but it is to recognize the true servants of God for who they are now what an interesting combination that we have here in the prayers that Elijah brings and maybe you've not noticed this before because he says I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word now we need to get it right right from the very beginning right from the start Elijah's second prayer that we have here is not a self-centered prayer in any way whatsoever We could describe it as an immensely sensible prayer. Why? Because the people had no means by which to recognize who were the true servants of God, the true ministers of God. You need to remember the situation that they find themselves in. The context is always important in Scripture. We don't just simply cherry-pick things. If we based our doctrine in that way, could you imagine There are some people who do. But remember the situation. There were 450 prophets of Jezebel, prophets of Baal, possibly dressed in uh, smart robes, smart vestments. We're not told that, but we could imagine. They were well fed. They were cared for. Perhaps they were well paid servants for their services. But what we do know is is they looked the part. They probably sounded pretty convincing as well. There were also lots of them. 450. And then the crowd separates. And dear old Elijah comes on the scene. Dressed in his camel fur um, coat. Do you know how rough camel fur things are okay I grew up with a, a, a camel fur blanket and it was like a piece you could you could decorate the church with it just cut bits up and rub the walls it was really rough and he comes along and he's holding his little lunch pail that's got a few sandwiches locust sandwiches in it small pot of honey his robe's been darned The widow of Zarephath had stitched it up for him, made sure it was okay, and he's on his own. Just him. Do you know what? There are times when we look at numbers, aren't there? We look at the quality of a person's clothing, we look at the circumstances that we see, and we go with the crowd. Rather than saying, Lord, who is your servant? When we let the world influence us, it changes the way we think, and it influences us, and it affects our walk with God. Often we allow the world in so gradually that we haven't noticed it's happened. Our attitude changes. The priorities that we have change. The views that we have of other people change. And not for the best, not for the good. The world wants to drag us away from God and most often the very first thing that it affects as the world comes in is your prayer life because our prayer life is absolutely vital. This is our communication with the God who created us, who created everything around us and the world comes in and it cuts the communication line. There's a... um, an episode of, of Rowan Atkinson in a series called Blackadder, and I realize that 100% of you have never heard of this, but it's based in World War I, and uh, they're having problems with the communication lines. And uh, suddenly, Captain Blackadder hears somebody from Germany trying to order a Chinese. I know it doesn't sound funny, but you can understand how the communication problems set in. And this is what Satan wants to do, because if he can cut the communication lines between God and ourselves, then we're failing. We're not able to be in tune with what God wants. And so I urge you to remember and to never allow him to come along and never allow the world to come in and to cause that influence and to separate us. We no longer speak to God as we should, And we most definitely do not hear God speaking to us. How can we, if we're no longer reading His Word, if His Word is no longer special to us? Because we have to be sure that we know and recognize a true minister who is preaching and is actually speaking god's word now you say does this to do with prayer well it has everything to do with prayer because if we're not receiving true teaching of the word of god if we're not in a fellowship a church where the word of god in its fullness is esteemed is loved is embraced then our prayer life will be greatly damaged and greatly affected So the question, I suppose, is very straightforward in closing is to simply say, so how do people know if the truth is being proclaimed? And that's a good question. How do I know if I go into this church that the truth is being proclaimed? Well, today there are many different churches that you can attend. There are many different flavors of churches. It's like going to Italy and asking for an ice cream. Yeah, what flavor do you want? Have you seen how many flavors the Italians have for ice cream? It's unbelievable. They love ice cream. And when we come and we look around today at churches, we find that there are all sorts. There are some churches that, that only have country and western music. And, 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 and you've got to come dressed in a cowboy outfit or a cowgirl outfit or something. And, and your worship is like a Johnny Cash LP being played in the background. There are huge churches that you can go to with thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are part of them. And the pastor will tell you that I can help you materially if you give me money. God only wants to provide for you prosperity and wealth. And if problems come into your life, it's because you've got a lack of faith. But that's not the gospel. That's not God's word. There are churches today that will try and preach only things that people like to hear. I mean, the problem with the Bible is it's a bit of an offense to some people, isn't it? There are sections in the Bible that tell us we can't do certain things. There are sections in the Scriptures in God's Word that explain how we need to live. And some churches just redact the Bible. We don't want to talk about these things. So they change it. So how are we to know the truth? How does, say, a young person, say a teenager, know if the truth is being taught? Well, speaking honestly, there is no way that they would know Unless they came from a Christian family where the truth was taught, where God's word was respected, where God's word was read, or they've gone to some sort of Bible-believing school that taught them. How are we to know if what we are being taught is the truth? And this is where Elijah's second prayer comes in, because the true ministers are not always recognized. In fact, we can sometimes reject a true minister of the gospel because he actually says things that we don't want to hear. We can also be really good at criticizing the minister, the preacher, the pastor, not because what he's saying is necessarily wrong, but it's because I don't want to hear it. It's not the things that I want to hear. And people can be easily taken in by numbers, by prestige, by big buildings, by the quality of the cars in the car park. We haven't got a car park. (laughs) By the number of degrees that the pastor has or the PhDs that he has, the letters after his name. And this can lead to some ministers of the gospel struggling with what could be called the Elijah complex. I, only I am left. So, Elijah's second prayer is that the people would recognize who the true servants of God really are. Now, interestingly, when we read the second part of 1 Kings 18, verse 36, so 36b, we find that Elijah has attached a condition. I don't know if you noticed that. What is the condition? It's this I have done all these things at your word. Now, that's the condition that he puts in. And it's that very small condition that helps us enormously to understand that this church is preaching the gospel. It helps us to understand that the message that is being proclaimed is the right message. Here is the requirement. You are only a servant of God if you do what you are told. If you say what you are told to say by God. That's the condition. So how do you know that what is being preached is the truth? You go to the word of God and you determine if the message given is indeed the word of God. And so Elijah's second prayer is a proper prayer for him to be praying. The king was against him. The establishment was against him. Think about these things in our own lives. The people in the main were against him. And he was finding it hard to stand up against these things. But Elijah did what was right. Elijah did what God had commanded him to do. And so when you come to church, ask yourself the question, does this church keep the Word of God central in all that it does? Does the church read God's Word? Does the pastor preach from the Bible? Is the whole Word of God maintained and kept to Are they passionate about God and his word? So you see, it's not actually too difficult. We know who God is. We bring worship to him. And we know what the requirement is when it comes to preaching the word of God. That it is indeed the word of God that is preached and taught.